And we are back, side two, Masters of Metal 80s with my guy Pat. We really turn up the volume to close out this season two debut episode. We have seven more tracks to lay down and discuss. And like I said, guys, we don't pull any punches. As always, these tracks are available on the Spotify and YouTube playlist. So be sure to have that playlist handy if you'd like to listen alongside us as we dive into side two, Masters of Metal 80s. So chill out, drop in, drop out, whatever. And we're going to get started and push play on this episode. So have a good time, guys, and we'll catch you all on the flip side. Well, it's just about music. Sir, you're up. I am. And what I'm going to take from Dio is not necessarily his voice, because once again, we've already said it and it can't be done. We can't match it. But I'm going to get, I'm going to challenge some of those guitar playing riffs and solos in there. And I'm going to hit you with peace cells. But who's buying? But who's buying? Not this guy. Not Dave Mustaine, that's for sure. Peace cells, but who's buying by Megadeth. Let's go. All right, guys, this is the part of the Jamcast where you get to choose your own adventure. You can either pause the podcast now and jump over to Spotify or YouTube and listen alongside us, or you can just hang out for a few seconds and we'll be right back. It's really your call. No wrong answer. Dave Mustaine killing it with this 1986 pure thrash metal. Like this is this is where we're talking about where I actually wrote in my notes here trash metal, but that was an accident. It should be a thrash metal. Uh, this is the speed metal. Speed and thrash to me are the same. I don't know that they're differentiated too far. Uh, and the reason I wanted to play it after Dio was because Dio in in or in the song "The Last in Line," there were just some really cool solos that kind of hinted and hit that little bit of upper echelon guitar work. And Dave Mustaine has this voice that tra- like transcends the music. Like he is an expert guitar player. On top of it, he does something really cool that we've talked about before on our previous episodes: the ability to sing well. While playing well. While playing well. Yeah. And most of the time it's, you know, I'm going to sing, then I'm going to throw a lick in there, I'm going to sing, I'm going to do a throw a lick, that kind of stuff. But still, he has this ability. And he doesn't, I wouldn't say Dave Mustaine has a good voice. I don't know that he has a good, like... It's gravelly. It's gravelly and it's, it's, it's in your face, but it matches the thrash sound so well. Like, it, it works so well together with one another. And... A little earlier, I was talking about conscious and how they were thinking about social political. This is where I was going with it. Like, peace sells, but who's buying? 1986. This is Dave Mustaine putting his political thoughts and beliefs into stuff and how the system is broken. And he will continue to do for the next 30 years. Correct. Like, 
30 plus years. I'm sorry. Dave Mustaine did have some back injuries in the 2000s where he couldn't play, but he got fixed up. I've seen him in concert after, and he plays just as well as he did in 1986. You still play that flying V. He does. Yeah. Dave Mustaine pulls it through with those lyrics and kind of his, he's talking to you. He's like, you know, if you hear of conscious hip hop where they're kind of rapping through, you know, political, social uh, things that are going on. He does the same, but behind a, a like just hard metal sound. And it's funny that he makes his way onto this playlist because he uh, has gone on record saying this song is 100% against glam metal and what was happening at the time. <laughs> because if you think well, about it, peace sells, but who's buying? It's just like kind of like you're all a bunch of puppets out there being pulled by the strings of the government and socialism, or I'm sorry, capitalism, uh, and that kind of. Yeah. you know, buy and sell and look at all these things out there. Yeah. But uh, some of the things I thought were pretty cool about this album is it's their second album and their first album showed their mascot. I thought it was the kind of a playoff of Maiden. A it, bit. it totally was. Kind Maiden has Eddie, Eddie, Eddie uh, the Hunter. Yeah. I believe his name is Eddie the Hunter, um, which was their mascot, which is cool to have a mascot for a band. Like, yeah. I feel like that's pretty dope. He's on every uh, album. Oh, every album and the artwork is fire. Uh, but anyway, it, Megadeth did the same thing. So their first album was Killing Is My Business and, and Business Is Good, uh, showed a skull of Vic. But this second album showed a full body in, or full embodiment of Vic. It was, it was, it was huge for the band. But there's a little, there's there, like, so Vic is this guy that has chains coming out of his ears. He has like a visor on his eyes and he has uh, his mouth like pinched shut. And it was supposed to be a manifestation of hear no evil, see no evil. Oh, really? Speak no evil. Speak no evil. Yeah. Right. And Vic stand for victim because of the hear no evil, see no evil, uh, speak no okay. evil. So it was like a victim thing. I feel like a lot of the stuff was like kind of put together for controversy right like sure. the Dio thing with sure. the, the metal horns and, sure. and I think when you're thinking about Megadeth in general like you can't overlook Marty Friedman either right right like, like one of the best guitar players ever mm -hmm. um just unbelievable guitar player and like you put him you put him in there with Dave Mustaine like that's that's a veritable super group right like Megadeth and I don't know. One thing I did find that was interesting about um, the reason why he plays Flying V's, yeah. which I, I just recently found out, mm -hmm. was um, he's had a number of different like sponsored guitars. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah so, makes sense. So he had like he was with BC Rich when he was with Metallica, um, went to Jackson. He did. Um, uh, what else did he have? The ESP, like a bunch of them, but what we found out in my research here was that at one point he was uh, guest hosting Bruce Dickinson's Friday night radio show. And he chose the flying V shape because of UFOs. No, oh. Michael Shanker, no the way. guitar player from okay. UFO, um, who was a huge fan of when he was growing up, who was also, you know, we talked about except being this lesser known band that influenced all these guitar players, like Megadeth and Iron Maiden influenced by this little tiny, you know, 
London-based band, UFO. In which they would play Doctor Doctor. Right. Every, every time, show. every yeah. show would come every out. Show. Yeah. But little known fact. On that's that really cool. That's cool. Interesting. All right, man. So that's my piece sells, and Dave's not buying. I, you know, I'll buy it. I'll, he, he, I'll might, buy it. he might. He might eventually buy it. He might well. Eventually. I have a, a weird sort of non sequitur. Yeah, sometime. go for it. Um, I'm going to go into the song The Hunter by Danzig off the self-titled album Danzig from 88. That's good. Uh, and I will explain my segue after we listen. All right, guys, you know the drill. Either jump over to Spotify or YouTube, check out the playlist. If not, just hang out. We'll be right back. All right, so that was Danzig, the Hunter from the 1988 album. Danzig's uh, got such a voice, dude. Like you, it's un, undeniable. Like you cannot have any other artist that sounds like Danzig, in my opinion. I I agree. I think he's got a little bit of Elvis, a little bit of Jim Morrison, right. yeah. a little bit of blues, like all that kind of yep, stuff. Yep, yep, yep. And um, I was a big fan of Danzig in you know high school and whatnot. So probably. 10, 15 years after he actually put out all of his shit. I never got into the Misfits, though, like at that time. Yeah. And you know what was interesting is that the Misfits were popular when we were in high school Mm -hmm. as like skater stuff. Yeah. And I didn't realize at the time, because at that time I was into Danzig, that the Misfits were before Danzig. Yeah. They weren't like, they weren't his first band. So he did the Misfits and then he went into this band, Sam Hain. And then Sam he did Hain. Danzig, and Danzig came around with what we had talked about before, right. the whole Rick Rubin thing. Yeah. Um, and that first album that they did, the self-titled Danzig Danzig album, Mother, was like their big hit. Big hit. It was their biggest hit of all the hits that they had. Makes sense. Um, Great song. And so I thought it was interesting to include Danzig in this because he's not like quintessential metal, mm-hmm. but he went from he was around during the time that metal was coming out and he did like the kind of horror punk and then the hardcore punk in the early 80s and then kind of laid the groundwork for like darker metal because this is not complicated guitar stuff no right it's it's real chunky it's a lot of bar chords it's you know it's real heavy on the uh distortion and stuff like that but it's it's just his voice his voice takes it to a different level for sure and the reason why i picked this after we did megadeth the megadeth connection to metallica which we didn't really get too far into um (laughs) uncredited on this album james hetfield does backing vocals on a number of these songs really was not included on the liner notes due to a contract dispute wow the other thing that i found out is that this song uh the hunter it's actually a cover of an Albert King song from 1967. So you think about going back to blues, like the roots yeah. of blues yeah. driving. And that's why I kind of picked this song is because I, I felt like it was important to kind of understand where these songs are mm-hmm. originating from and what's inspiring them. And this, the, the Hunter was redone by Ike and Tina Turner in 1969. <laughs> and then in 1988, Danzig dug it. So it's perfect. Like, perfect. It's, it's perfect. very amorphous. Yeah. Um, and I thought another element that was interesting was um, song lyrics from the original song were used in Led Zeppelin's How Many More Times medley off their debut album. Oh, wow. Wow. So Albert King is a huge influence in the blues scene. Makes right? sense. Makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but the the song lyrics were altered for Danzig's version. But in the original one, there's a reference to a love gun. Oh, kiss. There you go. Which is the basis for the kiss song, according to Paul Stanley. Right. Um, and one so my faves. I, I thought this was interesting. I mean, Danzig is a little bit of an enigmatic guy. Like he's he's got a whole bunch of shit going on with them. There's that you know that video that rotates from uh, you know that that video of him getting knocked out by that guy. Yeah. He was like you know big into martial arts and. He's a beefy guy, but he's, he's little. He's short. Five three. He's tiny. He's small. five three. He's, he's Dio. He's Him Dio. and Dio. <laughs> Him and Dio should just have been Dio on steroids. Best yeah. of friends. But I, I thought this was a, an interesting. The reasons why I included this yeah. were more about the roots and like okay. kind of what it what it brought to Makes to sense. metal and things like that because you think about the Misfits and Sam Hain sounded a lot like Danzig. To be honest, sure. Um, well. I think the 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 title track or the first track on this album is the Twist of Cain. Yeah, and that is actually a Sam Hain song. Two of them are Sam Hain. Oh, two of them. From what I understand. Oh, okay. I think Possession is also. Okay. I could, okay. I could be yeah, 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 yeah. Don't, don't still, record me. Still, <laughs> um, too late. <laughs> but no, I thought it was interesting because you, you go back and you look at the Albert King thing, and it's like I can Tina Turner, not metal. No, right? Not very metal. <laughs> not that I'm aware of. Albert King, not very metal. But you think about how Danzig sings, and you got the the whole Jim Morrison Elvis yes, kind of vibe. Yes, yes, That's a little more bluesy. He might have, yeah. You know, I don't know if, but Danzig, Danzig is also considered an originator. A lot of stuff. I'm wondering. I'm thinking. I'm feeling that he might have brought in like maybe the the goth scene because of his image. So you yeah. got him. You got his image of the horror punk, right? White face, long guy liner. Guy liner. He's got the long faux hawk coming down over his uh, his uh, widow's peak looking action, and his 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 he has this kind of like draw to him that brings that blues in, which is a sad sound, right? You know he's sixty six years old right now. Yeah, he's yeah, an old he's, dude. He's, uh, he's getting older. He's getting older, but he's. Like I said, I, I don't think there's a ton of super interesting stuff um, around the album itself, other than mm -hmm. what I talked about. What was the first two by Solo? Right. He's got a whole bunch of other albums out there, and they get darker and darker and crunchier yeah. and crunchier as they go. Um, but he he was a part of a couple movements. Like, yeah, big time. Like hardcore punk, um, the darker side of metal. Yeah. Um, things that like you know, made way for black metal and things like that. Like he was a big part of that. So as much as this song maybe doesn't sound like, you know, it certainly doesn't sound like winger 17 or anything like that, <laughs> but, wow. uh, but I think it, it warrants inclusion, pardon the pun there. Definitely. But um, you know, it's uh, it was a song I, I thought we needed to have in here just because of how influential he was and what he meant to metal as a scene. So yeah. Also from New Jersey. Is he really? Lodi. I didn't um, know Lodi, New Jersey was a place. I thought Lodi was just a, a lyric CCR and a CCR reference? song. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't realize that CCR came up, went to New Jersey, and they were talking about Lodi. Uh, but yeah, New Jersey boy, just like his... Uh, he probably lived real close to Bon Jovi. I'm just going to say and him and Bon Jovi. Yeah. I'm going to, you know, just... Maybe yeah, the all, boss. Who knows? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> probably not. Boss lives in the swamp somewhere. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> all right what do you got for all right man well i'm gonna hit you with this and i kind of broke the rules and i asked you if it was okay if i broke the rules 
I'm going to hit you with this two track piece because playing just the, the track, I wish it was just one song. I don't know. I don't know why uh, Rob Halford or whoever was doing this did this, but there's a track called the Hellion, which is just kind of an instrumental that leads up into a, an awesome track that I'm going to play next for you is electric eye. So the Hellion is like, 27 seconds and electric eye is the full song uh we're gonna go ahead and play the hellion slash electric eye by judas priest love it let's go talk about vocals man rob halford just does it right and once again, this is the new wave of British heavy metal coming over uh, because I would say much like Megadeth, they are one of those originators. You know, we talked about, you know, who came up in the 80s versus who hit their stride in the 80s. And to me, Judas Priest hit it hard with their 82 release of Screaming for Vengeance had you've got another thing coming on it uh that was one of their bigger oh my gosh you got another thing coming uh breaking the law came out on a different album but breaking the law also yeah huge an amazing song uh so so to start out the album the hellion instrumental 41 seconds comes in and then they hit it with electric eye and this was based on 1984 George Orwell, you know, electric eye. We have this surveillance system. But what Halford did is he changed some things in it. You know, you think of Orwellian lore and it's like, oh, the government just came and did this thing and imposed and started uh, monitoring humans. Right. But he threw in a lyric that really changes it up. And he goes, I'm elected electric eye which yeah. means like you did this. you did this yeah. <laughs> exactly exactly and i thought that was really cool because uh it just comes through and you know you talked a little bit about punk and punk always had that kind of like damn the man against the system let's break it down and he kind of has that too and if you ever seen rob halford perform he is black leather studded thick shades and, and in this video, as I told you before, the videos that came out in the 80s, some people, some bands got it and they wanted to make themselves more appealing. Other bands were like, wait a second, we already have live shows. Why don't we just do a video of our live performance? Right. Because that's what people want. So this album, the video is the band doing a live show. And Halford comes out with a six inch or six inch, six. <laughs> Halford comes out with a six foot bull whip wrapped up in his hand, but he comes out on stage and he just, he delivers the vocals. So in the video, they have less of the computerized Halford sound. I don't know. That's another thing that gets me that I, I don't know that I've talked about as much in these podcasts. Like, okay, I love pop. I love synthesizers and pianos, but I love when bands do 
robot voice the right way, like Mr. Roboto for sticks, oh, or yeah. they like synthesize their voice a little bit. And he does it so well for this, like when he's singing the part of the computer uh, or the electric eye, I am elected. It has kind of like a, a robotic sound to his Halford scream so to speak but he hits and, such a cool like falsetto but he's also kind of like gravelly too yeah like, exactly cool range. yeah he, he has a really good 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 range in there and uh just because we talked about it earlier in the tenacious d movie pick of destiny when jables is going to get into the rock and roll hall of fame and he jumps into the two air vents on the roof that's what the guy was talking about he throws he talks about electric eye and has an electric eye sound to it uh when he's doing uh storm the gates so that was pretty cool prior to and deactivating a laser with yeah <laughs> well that was that was post oh, yeah probably yes yes you're correct prior to <laughs> deactivating a laser with his dick Love that song. That's a great tune. I mean, Judas Priest, I feel like they don't get as much credence as they ought to as a part of the scene. Like they're in the conversation with Iron Maiden, they're in the conversation with Sabbath because they, I mean, they were 70s, really. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't say this. This song, which is huge and also you've got another thing coming, which was huge. Yeah. This is, so it came out in 1982, right? Pretty early in the eighties. And this is their eighth, eighth studio release. That's crazy. Eighth. eighth. It's crazy. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they had a ton of, a ton of good tunes and they were really consistent to their tunes too. Right. I mean, Absolutely. I, feel like, I feel like they had a lot of really good stuff. So good pick. I think they, we had to include them on there. hundred percent. Um, You're next, sir. I'm next. And I think I want to take a minute here before I hop into my next, song, <laughs> just to talk about some notable exclusions. Yeah. Oh, big time. Let's do that. Right. Because I, I think, if you're listening to to this podcast and you hear 80s Masters of Metal and you see a playlist that doesn't have Metallica on it, sure. It's a little bit of a slap in the face. Right. However, yeah. This is Jim and Pat's favorites from the 80s, yeah. right? And we have a limited amount of songs and things like that. Metallica obviously fits the big four. Anthrax is not on here. Right. Right. We, we Slayer. Slayer is not on here. There's a whole bunch of pioneers and originators from this era that didn't make the cut and it's not because we don't respect them or consider them those masters sure but these are our favorites and and in the other vein i mean we're not stopping folks we're gonna do an originators we're gonna do it and i guarantee you those artists are gonna show up so we were focused in on i don't know the ups and downs of the 80s i think is where we're at right now right and you got the soft, you got the hard, you got the mix, you got the in-between. and You got the six-inch bull whips. <laughs> Six-inch. But another thing is Metallica was prevalent on uh, our previous comfy covers. No, that's podcast. true. That's true. So I'm trying not to do any repeats if I can avoid it. I'm sure I'm going to screw that Makes up. sense. Um, Eventually. We'll and, screw and I, here's a band. Here's my segue. A band <laughs> that I, I assure you I will never play again on any other uh, podcast that we do is Winger doing 17 
off the, again, self-titled album from 1988. Um, here we go. Let's go. Ready for winger? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm ready for winger. Give so, me, give me winger. Let me know. Let me talk to you about winger and its namesake, Kip Winger. So, Kip Winger, Don Dockin and Kip Winger, they should do something, huh? Names, right? Well, winger doesn't rhyme with rockin', so <laughs> dinger winger, <laughs> whatever it takes. So, a couple facts about the song. Uh, very uncomfortable content. No, yeah, very, very much so. But it's uh, it's inspired by I saw her standing there. She was just seventeen. Yeah, you know right? what I mean. Exactly. So um, the immediate follow up to that was this song came out when Kip Ringer was twenty seven years old. Mm. Um, Who wrote he, it? He wrote it. He wrote it. But okay. he joked that seventeen years old was legal in Colorado where he grew up. Uh, Kip. Yeah. Kip. Weird. So 17 is probably the most widely known song, but charted Definitely. lower than the two other songs headed for a heartbreak and miles away. Um, and I, I really like this song. It's kind of goofy. <laughs> I know Winger got a lot of play time on MTV because like Kip Winger is like a heartthrob, right? Right, he's got the, right, he's right, got right. The, the Farrah Fawcett hair. And As most did in the 80s. Exactly. I mean, but he's yes. got the spaghetti meat uh-huh. you know, coming out of the shirt and whatnot. <laughs> So because of this song and a few others, Winger took a lot of heat for being like the quintessential shitty 80s band. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And yeah, they yeah. got joked about in <laughs> Beavis and Butthead. I can't remember the character's name. The Kick Me guy wore a right. Winger shirt and uh, an other notable history in the Nothing Else Matters video, Lars Ulrich throws darts at a Winger poster. Oh, man. Um and Winger subsequently named their next album Pull because it was like a skeet shooting joke. Oh, Pull. pull. Shoot, like shoot everybody away. fuck with us. Fire. Yeah, Let's exactly. Go. Exactly. So uh, fun fact about Kip Winger, um, which I thought was wild when I first found out. Kip Winger got his start as the bassist and backup vocalist for Alice Cooper. Really? Yes. Wow. Yes. Well, that's like, that's like the, the difference. Like you... You hear this music and you're like, wow, this guy's no talent or they're not 80s or they're 280s or whatever you want to say. Quintessentially. Yeah. They started with Alice Cooper, one of the other originators of the whole scene. Notable exclusions. Definite. Definite. So uh, Paul Taylor was also with Alice Cooper winger and then went on to play with Steve Perry. Wow. So again, there's this weird kind of like journey, yeah. probably a notable exclusion as well. Right. Again, you can't hit them all, but um, I'd say they more rock. Yeah. I, go, I go journey rock. Yeah. But I, I tried to it's... kick the metal. I tried to keep the metal and I feel like yeah. this, we, we hit a couple. Okay. Yeah. I get you. I get yeah. you. I would say the, the only other interesting fact about this band, other than just them being winger, uh, Rob Beach, the guitarists uh, ended up with Whitesnake. Hmm. So again, you go. rat, rat, and white snake. Talk about all that. And I got my, my final song, which we'll get into in a, a minute. Um, again, there was, there was more just sort of trading of these elite metal players to create all of these different bands right. from like a, a really small amount of players. Yeah. Um, the ones that were super popular. Sure. Anyway, so uh, that's, I'm going to keep this one light. 
winger maybe the lull in the podcast but <laughs> i thought it was interesting that he was from alice cooper and that uh the content is uh very uncomfortably statutory rapey yes so. yes there was a lot of, I, I i noticed that too i did a little bit of digging on this one and i saw a lot of like hey 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 i didn't understand i didn't know what you meant like oh it's like all right come on bro kid. She, daddy says she's too young like you say those words out loud but she's old enough for me. me like sorry no you kept come on but also i saw the kip said i don't know if, so does kip play guitar too yeah his bassist. okay how many bassists yeah okay so either i guess he he was ragging on people that tried to cover this song yeah, and they said, can't they cover it they it couldn't so cover complex it. yeah that. it's more complex than it sounds and when they try to do it it's it's not good. So I thought that was kind of cool too. Like, all right, yeah, flex, man. Flex when you can. You know what I'm saying? Well, like, Beavis and Butthead are going to tear you apart. <laughs> yeah, you, can, exactly. you can name your album after <laughs> skeet shooting. Blasted. Um, but no, I, I did hear that too. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. It's It makes me like Winger a little bit less. <laughs> but I do like that song. That song doesn't change anyway. And I'll stop there. <laughs> what do you got for me, Jim? I'm going to bring it up a little bit with this uh, OG hit from a band called Queensryche and the song is going to be Queen of the Reich. You can't say it like that. You got to say it like they say it. Queen of the Reich. There he is. There we are. Let's go. Push play. Queensryche, heavy metal band from Washington State. Song was released in 1981. It's a nice departure from all the British bands and Australian bands. It's heard. kind of crazy that in 1981 they they kill it with uh, his vocals. His range is just I don't even know where he hits. It, those those upper registers are just uh, really cool. Uh, very metal though, right? Very metal. Like very hitting, metal. Hitting that high note and like that's very Bruce Dickinson. It's very Judas yeah, Priest. Yeah, it's not so much yeah. Ozzy, but it's like. You know, a lot of those. You got to come in hot, like heavy, heavy with the music and yeah. the vocals need to be elevated. Even Dio, Dio doesn't oh. hit the, like he doesn't go super high all the time, but he hit, when he hits it, it's right. Okay. And I think that's, that's a definitive kind of sound of the eighties for the metal scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, I agree with that. Yeah. Right. Like it makes sense. And it was cool. So Queensryche goes down as a leader in progressive rock and metal once again they call it the big three dream theater fate's warning and uh queensrike which i know dream theater i don't know fate's warning i don't know them at all. i don't know them I've never at all them. nope 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 and i'm guessing it's more of the like conceptual type album if it's a prog metal band they're probably a prog rock mm-hmm. wherever you want to put it uh it's more about the concept album and this is not off their 1988 release, Operation Mind Crime, which has Silent Lucidity, I believe. And those are some really big hitters uh, that goes down as one of the greatest heavy metal concept albums of all time, which blows my mind because I picked this song because I know it. I like it. It, it gets me in the, the feels of Queensryche and where they're going. Uh, and it was actually like the first song they ever put out there even for their demo before they were Queensryche, they were a band called the mob and they had to change their name when did they start when were they what was their 
kind of beginning did they were they 70s i assume if this was 81 right the queens formed in 80 oh and their first demo they were still called the mob and this song was the first song on the album and the first song on their demo so that got them a deal so they were contemporaries with like end of ozzy era black sabbath yeah they were throwing this down in u.s u.s style which is yeah, big, right. big money, like because we talked about how kind of like heavy metal came from the UK a and how they, did. yeah, it really did. And and the sounds of all of that. Well, it's interesting you talk about like pro, like progressive rock too. And I think that's probably a whole other podcast. Defo. But you think about like the 60s and like King Crimson and, mm-hmm. yes, and Genesis and even like Procol Harum before that, Emerson, Lake and Palmer all through the late sixties and the seventies that led into like this being progressive and dream right, theater right. and symphony acts in the nineties. And then now yeah, prog rock, <laughs> totally different, well, totally different podcast, but we talk about roots, right? Yeah. 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 It's cool to see and to understand like, where was it in 1981? Sure. Where was it in nineteen? And that's, I don't know if I've had the conversation offline with you or on this podcast, but isn't progressive whatever's pushing the needle in the time? Like, I think so. Like progressive rock. It's kind of like the oldies, right? If you think about it now, I listened to an old, uh, I listened to a station that I used to listen to when I was growing up. Oldies 98.1 W-O-G-L. It would be when I was growing up, it was the 60s and 70s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. Now I listen to it, I hear 90s songs on there. Because I'm 30 years later. We're we're older. So it does the oldies shift with the music, just like does progressive music shift with the time as well. I think it does because you I mean you go back, you go back to 60s and 70s with Prague, and this is a fucking tangent, but that's like, fine. You think about like golden earring, yeah, and <laughs> focus, right? Focus, 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 right? Man. Like that, that that was very it was definitely pushing the scene, but yeah, like the fact that Queensrÿche is included in that, right? Like just knowing where it came from, mm-hmm. where that's like a milestone, right? The Queensrÿche era of Prague, um, it it, it gets crazier. It, it does. It cra- definitely that if that's a start that's uh there's definitely a different end so i just want to say real quick so it came out in 1981 and the video once again mtv nation video uh it starts out with this star wars-esque kind of uh marquee scrolling through the uh through the screen and it goes the millennium following the fourth great war so they're in world war four already the millennium following the fourth great war uh, evil adventurers discovered an ancient computer powered by a crystal. And this, like this yeah. <laughs> which this person, so the evil adventurer was a woman. She finds this like visor and she's using this computer to enslave the world and become queen of the Reich, which queen of the kingdom. They tried to, they tried to really be conscious much like Kip uh, in saying like, hey, I'm not a person that, you know, preys on 17 year old girls. They didn't like the fact they were using the word Reich. Oh, so that's really? why they put the umlaut over the Y to make it different so that they weren't hit with Nazism, as they put it. Uh, but anyway, 
<laughs> but in the video, the, essentially, there are five freedom fighters who are Queensryche. And they're battling the queen who has this computer powered by a crystal that is enslaving the world. It's ridiculous. But it's 1981. That's kind of a little bit of woke culture, too. Yeah. Like, computer is like the computer. Progressive. Pro- very progressive. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I, so Jeff Tate is the lead singer now of uh, Queensryche. And he <laughs> goes, he doesn't believe in the song. Some, really? Yeah, he doesn't like it. He doesn't like it at all. He doesn't get behind it. He doesn't sing it. He doesn't do it live because uh, the Dungeons and Dragons feel to it is not his scene. And he does not feel that he can, he didn't originally sing it. So he can't get out there in front of it. It kind of made me sad a little bit. I was like, man, it's like, man, well, he's the opposite of a dork. He's, he's an anti-dork apparently. Which makes him a dork. Which makes him a dork. (laughs) He goes adolescent lyrics. And he doesn't relate to the whole Dungeon and Dragon lyrical content, so he can't sing the song. All right, dork. Dork. He's a dork. He turned into a nerd because he said he couldn't be a nerd. That's lame. That's I mean, what happens. Geoff. Like, embrace it or go sing for winger, nerd. <laughs> you know? Get out of here. But anyway, Queensryche, man, I think we need to look into both Queensryche a little bit more and maybe Fate's Warning. I know Dream Theater. But Fate's Warning, I don't know who they are. And they're part of the big three. Yeah, I think, metal. I think we'll explore that at some point this evening uh, <laughs> in, in our tune selection. So, All right, man. This is your last pick, right? I'm bummed. And it's not, it's not like we're going out with the bang. We kind of are, though. Because you got one more. I got one more. Uh, which we're definitely going out with a bang. Yeah, it's a bunch but, of bangs. Um, this one in particular... We're going to do Def Leppard, Foolin' from Pyromania in 1983. And I I don't know if you can avoid including this in a Masters of Metal because they are quintessential glam, quintessential, you know, British heavy metal music. And it's not Dio and it's not Sabbath. It's definitely definitely Def Leppard but uh, song slaps so here it comes Def Leppard fooling off of Pyromania 1983 Um, I may have mentioned this at some point earlier in the conversation but um, this was one of the highest selling albums ever right? really yeah, yeah. So, wow so Def Leppard have sold more than a hundred million records wow and they're one of the world's best-selling music artists this particular one was multi-platinum which then became diamond wow so it's, this is a diamond record wow um they're two they're two majors were pyromania and hysteria yeah and we talked about this they came uh-huh. out at the same time as thriller and bad and we're number two on the album charts, but 100 million records. That's insane. Which is crazy. So um, Def Leppard's got a big story behind them. Mm-hmm. We're not going to get too far into it. Yeah. I think they deserve to be included because they were the new wave of, you know, part of the new wave of British heavy metal. Right. right? Um, and this band, Def Leppard, started at 77. Wow. Right. So you, you think about them being like late 80s or, you know, this is early 80s, technically 83. Um, 
and in every bar you've ever been play (laughs) pour some sugar on pour some sugar i saw them in concert did you really yeah i did did not know that yeah well a couple things about them right so the band themselves the original spelling was not this phonetic spelling they changed (laughs) it from literally being deaf leopard like a deaf leopard Mm -hmm. uh to this because of zeppelin and the spelling oh cool 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 cool. um they're the first quote-unquote rock band to be on mtv oh i mean whatever that means but um let's talk about some of the members of deaf leopard phil collin you know, uh, he joined the band for for Pyromania, right? For for this particular album, he was a super drunk drug user, and now he's like vegan, sober, six pack, <laughs> like healthy lifestyle guy. Yeah, um, good for him. The the guitarist Steve Clark, who wrote all the albums, who did not play like Phil Collin, um, and was a little more technical, whereas yeah. Phil Collin was a little bit different there. Mm-hmm. Um, he died of a drug and alcohol overdose and was replaced Yikes. by Vivian Campbell, who was the guitarist for Dio. Oh my God. So that was the theme that I found throughout this whole podcast and the research that I did. Again, it's like jumped around. They just, these band members interchangeable, right? It's just like puzzle pieces. Um, and then what everybody wants to know about Def Leppard, what happened to the drummer, right? Yeah. Uh, so Rick Allen, the drummer, um, flipped his Trans Am or something. Corvette. Right? He was driving Corvette. his Corvette, okay. and he hit a, a wall, and he went through the windshield, but his left arm did not stay with the seatbelt, and um, he ended up getting the arm reattached, and then they had to amputate it because of it didn't connect. Didn't didn't quite work out. There's an infection, whatever. Um, and then he continued to drum for the band using a electronic drum kit you know figured it out now he plays more of that sort of acoustic drum set even with his liability or disability not liability his disability um and so i don't know again i thought def leppard was a, a must-have inclusion on here particularly yeah. this song which i'm a really big fan of yeah. because of how popular they were sure. and their mainstream kind of attraction right being on mtv selling all those records being contemporaries with michael jackson and still being that popular being so different um it's uh it's kind of wild that the band itself again phil collin a little bit enigmatic you know super druggy now super vegan and then steve clark dying the drummer gets his arm ripped off like only one safe there is the bassist yeah I don't know what he's up to who so, knows um would but, you say the drummer drums in mono oof you might want to cut that out <laughs> <laughs> Go on. you better but uh yeah i mean they're they're not not really much else to say about them i mean they're they're pretty popular everybody knows oh. their major hits I didn't know they were British. Mm-mm. There's a lot of these bands that I just sort of assumed. I guess that's my my kind of American washing it. But um, you know, I didn't realize that a lot of these major contributors were British or yeah, Australian and time, stuff like that. Time. And I feel like um, that was one that definitely got by me. I was like, these guys are from Cincinnati for sure, <laughs> and they are for sure from England, not from Cincinnati, and. Uh, yeah, so Fool and 
not their most popular song off the album, but it's my choice, right? I get to pick what's on here. That's right. And uh, 83 and then, you know, the Hysteria album after that. Super, super popular tunes. Um, not as popular as Michael Jackson. But not as popular as Michael Jackson. <laughs> but Phil Collins still alive. So yeah. got that going on. That's great. Well, I think I got the last pick here because you got the first. I'm bummed. We're done. That's all right. That's all right. That's all right. We're going to kick it off. Kick it out. Out. We're going we're gonna to end with... Just a full frontal assault over the wall by testament. That was testament. 1987 over the wall. I did not know this band existed until I started making an 80s metal playlist. I just saw this name popping up over and over again. I picked this track because, hey, it's awesome to end out on. Like, right? Like, I think we started. What did we start with? First song was uh, Dokken. Dokken. We start with Dokken. We end with this. Doesn't matter. Everywhere in between we've hit. We've hit the points of where 80s metal was. And these guys, Straight out of the Bay Area, they've been compared to Metallica over and over and over again. I mean, yeah. Dare I say, I think they're careful here. More metal than Metallica. Oof. I don't say they're better. I love Metallica inside and out. I love Metallica a lot. I lost some. I love Metallica inside and out. But I think they hit that metal category just a little harder than Metallica ever could. And they have kind of a, uh, a Megadeth kind of sound to them. And for good reason. So I talked in the beginning about how the big four transitioned to the big eight. Uh, so big four, as we said before, is Megadeth, Metallica, Slayer, and Anthrax. So I guess they expanded the big four to be the big eight. And they included a band Exodus, Overkill, Death Angel, and Testament. And that's all L.A. scene, right? That is all L.A. scene. I don't know about uh, Exodus, Overkill, and Death Angel, but I'm believing they're also in the same kind of area. Sure. A little bit about it. So this is off their first album. This is off the first. So this is some... 1987, so the year we were born. Uh, And something's always to be said about the first song off the first album. This is the first track off their first album. Like, you're out the gates, man. Like, if this is what you're putting out in front, you only have to get better or fail immediately. Yeah. That's (laughs) it. That's it. You have to get better or you fail immediately. It's the who we are. Uh, Exactly. And they continued going. And Testament has a ton of albums out there that you have to check out. And I have to check out, too. But I thought it was kind of cool that they named the the name of the album Legacy. And which is confusing for the first album, right? Like you're going to name yourself a legacy. It's a little big of you. Presumptuous. Presumptuous to say the least. Uh, but they were originally called Legacy. That was their original band name. Oh, that makes sense. Though. And then they found out a month before the release that there was another R&B hotel cover band 
called Legacy. Wow. So they couldn't use the name. Cool. So they changed it to <laughs> Testament. Because <laughs> yeah. you don't want to be associated with an R&B hotel. Specifically, that's the thing that kept on coming up. I didn't even know that not means. just not even like an R&B cover band, but an R&B hotel cover band. That means they only play in hotels, bro. That is weird. It's not just an R&B cover band, which would be a, a genre of its own. Unimpressive. <laughs> and it's like, you don't want to be, and, and listening to their music, right. you obviously don't want to be associated with that. No, that's dog shit. So <laughs> they hit the club scene, 84 to 86. They were hitting the club scene in LA, the Bay Area pretty hard. Uh, and like I said, they've been compared to Metallica because Metallica came out of that Bay Area well, they too. They sound a lot like them. I mean, you listen to that song. It's It's got a lot of- I get it. You know, it's got a lot of injustice for all. Sure, sure. But I feel like injustice for all is always dialed back. Like it's the music is up front, but the lyrics aren't. And I just feel like listening to Testament here, you're hearing the lyrics match the production of the music. They're kind of like at one. Yeah. Which is weird to say because injustice for all one. Um, (laughs) So right before the album released, uh, they switched out guitarist and Alex Skolnick was brought into the band and he studied and you can hear it in between the Meadleys. He he studied under Joe Satriani. Oh, heavy heavy Meadley. King of the Meadleys. Which I love. I love Joe Satriani and uh, Steve Vai, Vai, that kind of just like finger fretwork, crazy sounds that they create, tapping and all of that. Uh, And Al Skolnick actually became the lead singer and uh, song uh, lead guitarist. I'm sorry, not lead singer lead guitarist and songwriter for Testament after that. He was also part of TSO, Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Oh. Makes sense. Yeah. Uh, Sabotage, which is a, Sabotage was a big 80s metal outfit, Metal Allegiance, which I have not dug into yet. And he also did a instrumental uh, track for Lamb of God. Really? Lamb of God has a song called Ashes of Waste. And it's a so- the solo is this Alex Skolnick, who is from Testament, who was brought in right before the album dropped and or right before the the release of their first album. You can definitely uh, hear the chops. Like definitely, right? Like, yeah, Joe Satriani, uh yeah, he's he's been out there for a while and I guess the LA scene and and continual he's still putting stuff out. Um is it Crystal Planet? Or am I thinking of someone else? I don't know. That's a Google search way, but I think it's I think it might be. Yeah. Anyway, we ended it with a bang. I think that's our Masters of Metal, man. I don't know what else you have to say about it, but I think we've hit all the high notes here yeah. and the low. Uh, Last thing I'll add. Go for is it. Is that I think it's important if you look at the if you look at how we ran through things, yeah. the different songs that we chose. Like there's different stages of 80s metal. 100%. Right? At the very beginning, you got that Ozzy kind of feel. And then you crept into glam. And then like the second wave was really thrash. So like late yeah. 80s. Yeah. And like you still had carryovers like Skid Row, late 80s. Um, but it was really cool to see the progression mm-hmm. as we were researching and, and kind of listening to the music. It's, you know, it's stuff we'll put on when we're just hanging out. So, you know, I hope everybody enjoyed it and enjoyed the, you know, some of the 
fun facts and research behind it. Yeah. And, you know, we'll be back with more on this. Definitely. For sure. Definitely. And I think, you know, it, the last track we just threw down was 87. And I think we had an 88 track in there, but 87 kind of tail end of that whole kind of scene. And we didn't include, we've talked about them a lot. Slayer was not included, but Rain and Blood came out in 87. So that's, yeah. that's hardcore thrash. That's yeah, thrash. It's the second wave of metal, in my opinion. I agree. You know, I post, agree. Post-Ozzy. I would say you had, I would say you had the MTV metal. Mm-hmm. That makes sense, right? 83 is when MTV launched. And I know that there were videos made before 83, but that is when people targeted, hey, we got to make videos to get views, to get not clicks. No one was clicking shit at that point. Get on the hood. Get on the hood. Yeah, get on the hood of White Snake's car uh, and get out there and get that money. You know, we're making this music. Let's get that money. And then the thrash and and into the harder grungy metal, whatever went into the nineties. Uh, people cared a little less about the money and the posterity, and they wanted to. Yeah. They wanted to be creating just this this onslaught yeah Yeah. music for music's sake so i don't know man i had a cool time rediscovering the genre because i think it's where i started Mm -hmm. in my 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 musical career my music career (laughs) my musical uh tastes and then i kind of lost sight of it for a while the 80s the 80s metal scene i don't know that i gave it as much respect through my adulthood as I did in my teenagehood, uh, teenagehood hood of white snakes car. Yeah. Uh, but I enjoyed it a whole bunch. Yeah, man. I appreciated it. Um, I, I loved all the stuff you had to say and I'm glad I could do this with you brother. Yeah. We're going to do a volume two and, uh, more masters of metal to come. So until next time. All right, everyone. So that was season two debut opener, Masters of Metal 80s. We have so much lined up this season, and I'll be back in two weeks with a fresh new episode that you're definitely going to want to check out. Be sure to follow me on Facebook, Spotify, and the YouTubes to make sure you have the music available when you're ready to push play. All right, jammers, until next time, you know the deal. Jam on. (laughs) 